As Protestants and Catholics, we worship the same God, we just do it a little differently. For example, Protestants worship God in their Bible studies, fellowship, and spirit-filled services. And Catholics worship God in their beautiful cathedrals, liturgies, and sacred traditions. But that's no reason to behave like prideful little children in the Father's house, fighting over who God loves more, just because we think our way is the best way. For there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, and there is no distinction between Protestants and Catholics. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are all God's children, but the enemy has us distracted and divided against ourselves. Meanwhile, he's destroying our families and robbing our children of their future. We must join forces. Let's stop talking about how we are different and start talking about how we are all the same in our struggles. We are all broken and we all need a savior named Jesus. We like this idea so much we created Broken Catholic, the number one podcast in the world for Protestants and Catholics. Now close your eyes and take a listen as everyday Christians reveal shocking before and after stories of how they resisted or cooperated with God's plan for their life and what happened next. Hi, this is Dr. Scott Hahn and you're listening to Joseph Warren with Broken Catholic. You're going to enjoy everything you hear. Today, my featured guest is the real Jason Duncan. I just had him on my business show, your first 100K podcast. You could check him out there if you really want to deep dive into his business story, his successes, his wins. Very powerful story, what he's done there. Today, he uh, agreed to come on and speak about, well, his relationship with God, his walk with God, his journey uh, that we're all on. And we know we struggle, we trip, we stumble, we fall. Uh, maybe you're going through something right now, BC Nation, where you just don't even know what God's doing. I was just talking to Jason uh, before we went live here, and that's exactly where I am right now. God is moving in my life in powerful, forceful ways that are very uncomfortable, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and I actually don't see clearly what he's up to. And as a man... That is really uncomfortable. And for some of you strong alpha females, you know what I'm saying. So there's nothing easy about this, right? Walking with God, following Jesus, taking up your cross daily. He doesn't say, like, take up your rainbow and follow me. Everything's sunshine, right? Like, it's take up your cross. And the cross back then was an instrument of death. Right? So what is that? Dying to yourself, dying to your ego, dying to your control, your need to control everything. It's so difficult. All right. So we're speaking with the real Jason Duncan. He's a business coach for entrepreneurs who want to live the exit lifestyle. What he means by that is he helps them build a business that thrives in their absence, regain control over their time and choices, achieve true freedom as entrepreneurs, and here's the numbers, increase the value of their businesses by 30 to 50%. So if they want, they can exit now or soon or fast. So that's what he does in business for work, for income. But we're here to uh, find out who's the man, who's the man. And more importantly, what is the story God's been telling in Jason's life? So Jason, welcome to your Broken Catholic number one podcast on Apple for Protestants and Catholics. Please go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Joseph, it's good to be here. We did have a good conversation on your other show. And um, I think some, something of what I must have said in that show said, hey, man, I think 
we ought to get on this show and go a little bit deeper into some of those uh, those spiritual concepts of how I've navigated some pretty difficult times in my life. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. It's an honor to be here. Thanks, brother. Awesome, man. All right, let's start off. Uh, take a minute and share something personal about you that very few people in your business life actually know. Uh, let's see. Something personal. Well, if we're talking real close personal, I, my wife and I, we, we will have been married 29 years this year. Coming up in May, she's my best friend, and we met on a blind date. So we were 16 and 15 years old and uh, talked on the phone a couple of times. This is back in the 90s when there was no social media, there was no cell phones. It was like there was no early 90s, rather. And it was like there was nothing you couldn't like you had to go look for somebody to find them. So we got set up, had a couple phone calls, met on a blind date. And uh, we've been married almost 29 years, man. It's awesome. Still your best friend. Can't beat that. Yeah, every every single day, even when I don't like her and she doesn't like me. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> Those man. days happen. <laughs> and something I thought that's uh, interesting is that you RV uh, for weeks at a time with the whole family, um, kind of travel the the country, and that's one of your favorite things to do. Is that correct? Yeah, we, we don't do it as much. We haven't done it as much the last 18 months because of business stuff that's been going on. It's kind of prevented it, which is not normal because I kind of build my businesses around lifestyle, but we might get into that. But but yeah, we we are, are RVers. We bought, we bought a 34-foot travel trailer in 2017, and uh, we've been going out every year somewhere. We, we try to go cross-country or go over do a long trip at least once or twice a year. Um, our first trip of the year is coming up in April, and we're going to be doing a, a week-long trip. We're going to go down to Florida from Nashville, and we're going to visit some friends down there for a week and come back. So, yeah, we like to do that. Kids are, you know, kids are too old; they don't go with us anymore. But, but uh, we used to when they were little. With they are littler, they went with us. So, at what age do kids find RVing boring? What was that magic age? Was there a number when they can't? Well, they can't fit in the bunk anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's about fitting because they had, like, we have our own bedroom in the back, yeah. the queen size bed, and they had these little bunk. They have a bunk room in the front. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my son, he's, uh, he's probably 5'11, so he's not quite six foot, but he, you know, it's, he's too tall for the little bunk. So he has to sleep like sideways. And, and anyway, yeah, I think they, they just kind of got over it. Yep. They outgrew it literally. All right, Jason, we're here to speak about God and your relationship with him and what he's been up to in your life. Um, and sometimes we agree with what he's up to, right? We see clearly his plan and we're like, yes, that's what I want. And we have that desire in our heart to align with him. And then there's other times in our life where we're like, I can completely disagree with how you're doing this, Lord. This is not how I would run the universe nor my life if I was in your position. And we're bold and we're obstinate. We act like children defying our own parents so many times, right? And I'll walk. So take us back in time if you can and just start us out. Uh, like when did you first experience God in an actual relationship? Not just the religion, this is what was taught to you, but like an actual real experience. Like, wow, he's my father. I am loved. He's got me. Tell us about that, man. For me, that was a gradual process. I grew up 
um, in a family who attended church services are um, my whole life. I remember one time as a kid, I was probably around 10 years old where I went in on a Sunday morning and mom was still in bed and it was like, Hey, aren't we going to Sunday school? And she said, no, not today. Like, like that was the only time in my childhood. I remember us willfully choosing not to go to church service. Hmm. So I grew up knowing Jesus my whole life. I, I, uh, you know, was baptized at age nine, uh, by my father and our little, you know, our, and amongst our congregation at a little Goodlettsville Christian church in Goodlettsville, Tennessee. And, um, you know, it has always been a central part of who I am, but I don't think that the reality of the relationship started until my twenties. And so in my twenties, um, my wife and I, of course, we got married young. We were 20 and 19. We got married and, and she didn't, she didn't, uh, she had no church or, or relationship. She had no church family or relationship with Jesus at all growing up. And so it wasn't until she met me that, that uh, ultimately I led her to to know who Jesus was and was had the privilege of baptizing her. And then um, we got married and immediately went into ministry. <laughs> so she and I, like she married, she like found Jesus and became a, a youth pastor's wife, like immediately. Wow. And so, um, but during those first few years of marriage, we had, um, we had this church family that we were a part of that had a really solid group of 20 somethings. And we got together outside of the regular church services. We have Bible studies and we would go on retreats together, do things. And it was where it really, we started to uncover what we would consider at the time, the depths of who Christ was and, and who he is and the Holy Spirit, et cetera, things that we didn't grow up learning about. And so I think that's when it started for me. But now at 48 years old, looking back at that with 25 years ago, 28 years ago, like, man, we didn't know Jack. Like that was, we were barely scratching the surface. So for me, I didn't have an, I didn't have a, a Saul on the road to Tar, uh, Tarsus. I didn't have that experience. I didn't have this come to Jesus moment where the skies opened up and it was parted. And I, I didn't have that. Like I've known Jesus my whole life. So for me, it was a gradual experience that has ebbed and flowed through all of life's experiences, both good and bad. You know, and I think you relate with so many of us, right? It's our journey with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus looks like following him one decision at a time rather than this big monumental decision of like, okay, I'm in, I'm leaving this all behind, I'm going to do it. And yeah, that happens for a few people for sure. But I think the majority of us, it's that daily walk, that daily grind of, you know, my will versus his will. Where have you run into that collision more times than you want to think about maybe or admit? Um, is there a, a short story you could tell us that comes to mind where your will was not aligned with what he was doing in your life? I think there's so many of the little the little things that happen that you just don't, they don't register. There's some normative like, Hey, I want to do this and it doesn't work out. And at the moment I'm like, ah, okay, that's probably, it's probably best that that didn't happen. Um, but the biggest, the biggest thing that I experienced is, has been in business. I had, had two big business issues as an entrepreneur. One was in 2019 
And then one was just at the end of last year. And and I thought 2019, my world was crashing down, but that was nothing compared to what happened at the end of 2023. So 2023 put that all to shame. But I, but it's during those moments when I am desperately asking for a very specific solution and it doesn't come. And uh, those are the times when I find like, who's going to win in this? I mean, I know, I know like consciously who's going to win always he's going to win, but like in that battle of wills, what I want and what he is providing are two completely separate things. But I also am comforted in knowing that in the end, all things work together for good because I love him and I've been called by him. So even in the moment when it sucks and it's no good, I can have confidence. That doesn't mean it's more comfortable. It just means I know it. And I'll give you, I'll give you an illustration. My son, he's 23. Uh, he moved out when he was 19 and, um, it was a shock for us to see him move out. It wasn't something we wanted necessarily, but it was something he decided he wanted to do. Well, as most people that age, 19, 20, 21 years old, you know, they go through struggles of figuring out what decisions should they make financially, friends wise, job wise, et cetera. And we were coming back from an RV trip. I, I guess it's been golly, about a year ago. Year, yeah, about a year ago now. So he was 22 at the time. And uh, he, had, he had been laid off from his job. Uh, he was working seasonal. And so he had been laid off before the winter. Well, now here we are. It's it's March. And he still doesn't have employment. You know, he's you know he's living on his own. So he's not living with us. But he calls and says, hey, can I borrow some money? And we're driving. I'm driving my truck. And he's on speakerphone. And my wife and I are sitting there. And he's like, can I borrow some money? I need to blah, blah, blah. And it, actually, I don't think he said, can I borrow money? He said, can can you help me? Hmm. Right. Which was, which was a, you know, decent, decent question. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're my firstborn. I love you. I'll help you. It doesn't matter what you need. I'm going to help you always hundred percent forever. And I said, but I'm not giving you any money. <laughs> and he, not and what he, he said, wanted to hear. <laughs> no. And he's like, what? And I said, you know, what would help you is you figuring this out on your own. Uh, now you're sounding and like he God didn't the like Father, that. right? He didn't there, like that. Dude. That's like a God <laughs> well, move, he, man. So, so we did. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't. You know, my wife was sitting there in the pastor seat. She, I don't think she was 100 percent with me on this. She's like, "We need to help him." I said, "This is helping him." And um, so, so through that process, I kind of understood a little more about when I'm crying out to Father, say, "Hey, I need you to help me." And I need money. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'll help you. I'll do whatever you need, but I'm not giving you any money. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I bought in, in, in the fourth quarter of 2023, I bought more lottery tickets. And then I, I don't, I'm not a lottery player. I don't do that. Like that's not a normative thing for me, but I, I bet I bought a dozen. Cause I just like, God, I, this, my problem's a money issue. This isn't a relationship issues. Infidelity isn't, it, there's none of this, not psychological. There's no problems. This is purely a money issue that could be fixed if I won the lottery. And so I bought these tickets. Can I win? You know, let me win. Let me win. No, God's like, I'll help you, but you're not winning the lottery. <laughs> okay. So this is so good, right? And this is very personal for me right now. Very personal. I've shared with you. So you 
truly believed that you needed money that would fix the problems that was going on right now. And God is saying, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to give you money. So how did he help you? Well, so in the book of Philippians, Paul is talking about what to focus on. And in the, in the fourth chapter of Philippians, and I, and I actually, I, I have this in my, I use this thing called prayer mate, which I don't, I'm not an affiliate for them or anything, but, but they, this is a prayer app that you can use on your phone and it just reminds you what to pray for, et cetera. And you can put in your own stuff or subscribe to prayer, prayer feeds. And I, and I, I go through Philippians four, four through eight every single day. And so here's what, here's what, to answer that question, Joseph, he, he says, he starts his, he starts this section by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he, then he kind of does it again. And again, I say rejoice. So always means always and always in all circumstances and all things. And that's tough when you're, you know, if you've got a spouse that dies or leaves you, or if you've got a kid who dies or something happens, I mean, there's, I have not experienced those types of things, but I've had some traumatic things that happen in business. Like always rejoice always. Then he goes on to say, this is interesting. He says, let your reasonableness be known to all men or to everyone. Say that again, please. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Well, what is, what does that mean? Let your, so I'm a reasonable person. Well, no, it's your ability to reason. It's your ability to reason. So he says, rejoice always. He says, let your reason be known to everyone, the ability to reason. And then he follows it up by saying, the Lord is at hand. In other words, he's here. He hasn't left you. So even in a bad time, rejoice in it. Reason your way through this and let people know you're reasoning through this. You're not just taking on blind faith and laying down as a doormat, whatever you want. Like reason through it. And then he says, the Lord is here. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Oh, easier said than done, but he's that's, just like, don't that's be That's the rub, bro. He says, don't be anxious about him. And then he says, in but, he, he says, but, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in other words, what do you want? What, what do you need? Do you need money? Is that what you need? Okay, present it. But do it with prayer, petition, thanksgiving. You got to be grateful. You got to have this attitude of gratefulness. And then here's the answer to what you just asked me. Well, how did he answer me? It is this. He says, and if you do these things, he says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't say he's going to answer it specifically like i'm going to give you what you want or i'm not going to give it to you it says when you present it the peace of god that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus and the heart is that scientists are discovering that the heart has so many times in scripture it says guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life like it's not just a blood pumping vessel that there, is, there are thoughts that can emanate from the heart. So guarding your hearts is so important. So the answer, how did Father help me through those times, is then that I got peace when it didn't make any sense. Like I should have been bankrupt. Like many people in my situation would have murdered themselves. They would have committed suicide. Um, 
and I'm not trying to overstate the situation, but that's happened before. People have killed themselves for lesser things. But why, in my moments of grief, did that not even occur to me? Why did that not? Why did why did I not go off the rails with drugs or alcohol or anything else? Because the peace of God was guarding me in the moments that I didn't. It didn't make any sense. Were you anxious? Yeah, a lot, a lot. And it's just a reminder to come back. You know, you ever, you ever watch these people that go through traumatic situations on television, whether it's reality or, or even in a movie and somebody's an anxious moment and somebody's coaching them through it and they say, breathe. You ever, you ever seen them say, breathe. It's like, well, no, duh, I have to breathe. But, the, but what happens is even though your aut autonomous system aut uh, is trying to breathe, you tense up and you hold back and somebody just say, breathe. Okay. I'll breathe. So, in those moments we get anxious and that's natural and God's saying, don't be anxious. Right. So that's what's happening. Brother, how did you help your son? Uh, he helped himself. Like he went through that process of trying to figure out on his own. Um, he had to discover where the rent money was coming from or whatever he needed the money for, you know, what he had to discover, that on his own. And we told him, Hey, this is, if I'm your situation, this is probably what I would do. Um, you know, a lot of parents would, would, would at that moment go back and say, well, if you'd done this, like we live in the past and that doesn't help anybody. It's just about present and future focus. Um, so I, he figured it out. Like it was good. And and it's fine to this day. And, and the irony is we've now moved in with him, which is an interesting story, but he has been renting for my my grandmother's home from the family. And, uh, we were in a position where we were ready to do something to make our next move. And they were planning on selling the house. I was like, I don't want to sell the house. I'd like the house. I, you know, it's smaller than what I'm used to. And it's a fixer upper. There's things that got to be done, but we'll, we'll do it. So we went to him like, Hey, would you be open to this? And he's like, yeah, oh, that would be great. Like, so he was cool. He was cool with it. And I'm like, yeah, but you do know you still have to pay rent. Like you could just gonna pay it to us. <laughs> so, so we've, uh, we worked through that, but yeah, he's doing, he's doing great. I'm really proud of him. He's got a good job now. We're working 40 hours a week. He's got a girlfriend. He's got good friends. He, he, he released an album with his buddies and they're on, they're on Spotify and they like, they're doing good. He's doing good. That's cool, man. It would have been funny. I think if you came to him, Hey, we want to, you know, come to the house or whatever. And he's like, Hey, Dad, I'm gonna help you. I'm here for you. You're my dad. Anything you want, but I'm not. I'm not giving you rent. I'm not giving you money. I'm not. I'm not giving you a discount. <laughs> it's good stuff. Oh, oh man. All right. So listen, like what you're saying, it sounds so good. Um, but man, you know when you're in it, someone can, someone that's outside of the storm, on the other side of it they're saying all the right things, but you're having like objects thrown at you. <laughs> you're ducking, you're weaving, you're literally surviving. Sometimes you're hand to mouth with God. And sure, we read the Bible verses, God provides for the birds of the air. Do we not think that he'll also provide for us as children? It's like, God, I'm not seeing your provision right now. Like the bills aren't getting paid. Like I'm a father, I'm a husband. Like, what do you want me to do right now? Because everything I'm doing, I'm attempting, I'm running into closed doors. 
bolted, locked doors, and it's not working. I'm asking for clarity. I'm praying for provision. I do feel your protection because the sky hasn't fallen yet. <laughs> like I'm still kind of standing or on one knee here. But like, Lord, I know you're here. But what's the move? What's the step you want me to take? Because I don't even see your lamp at my foot right now. I don't see my next move. What happens then? What did you do then, Jason? I um you you mentioned the 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 quote where Jesus talks about he takes care of the birds of the air who don't toil or work and aren't we more more valuable? I think about that every time I see a bird, especially when I see a bird pick up trash that some human dumped, and I think some litter bug dropped this trash. And this bird is benefiting. He's eating a French fry that this person dropped. I mean, isn't God can provide through even somebody doing something wrong? Like that's that's pretty cool. So the birds to me, I, I love birds for that reason. I had coffee with a friend of mine this morning, and I'm sitting at this coffee shop, and there's a glass windows and doors out the front, and and this little bird was just going through the the pine straw, pulling out what was inevitably going to be part of his home. And he's getting it ready and he's shaking off the little pieces and he flies off and he came back and we sat there an hour and I watched him the whole time just coming and getting pieces for his home. And like God's providing for that bird through you know landscaping. So I'm comforted in knowing that provision will always be there. And the other side of that is, and I don't know who said this, but when we feel anxious or worried and we do have the, the, cognizant awareness that father is protecting us and taking care of us and will, but we don't understand what's going on. The reason we have that anxiety and that worry, fear, that fear inside is because we don't have all of the data. Mm -hmm. We don't have all the data. God has all the data. Father has all the data. He knows the beginning, the end, the middle, the everything in between. And because he has all the data, he ain't worried. It's like if I took, if I took my son who didn't know how to swim and I toss him into a swimming pool. My son, who doesn't have the data, is going to flail around, scared to death, screaming. There's actually a video. There's a funny meme video, whatever it is, on somewhere floating around where this little kid is in, in the ocean. And he's he's probably two or three. And he's hanging onto this rope. And he's just like screaming bloody murder because he's scared to death. And, cause he's, and he's got his legs pulled up under the rope. And he's like, ah. Well, his sister or somebody comes and just grabs his feet and pulls them down to straighten his legs out. And he's standing up and he immediately clears up like, oh, okay, I'm good. Like he didn't have all the data. And so for us, we are standing there in our lives, clinging to this rope, screaming for dear life, God, please, I don't know how to swim. And he's just waiting for you to extend your legs and touch the ground. He has the data. We don't have it. The other analogy that I like to use in this scenario is if you've ever watched a movie, right? And and it's a thriller, there's a whodunit in the middle or, or somewhere in the movie. And, and you're watching it for the first time in the middle of that movie. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe he's the bad guy. Maybe she's the bad guy. Maybe he did it. Maybe she did it. You don't know. And you get to the end and all finishes up. You're like, oh, that was good. It was a good, entertaining movie. Okay. Now go watch it again. You don't have those same emotions. You're not anxious about it because you know she did it. You know she did. You know she did it the first time she showed up on screen. God is the same way. 
He already knows. Now, I also do not believe that he orchestrates it. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe that. I mean, I get that there are people out there, but I'm not that guy. I don't believe he's orchestrating making everything happen. But I know that he knows what's going to happen, and therefore he isn't worried. So in the middle of our struggles and our screaming and our crying, I need money, I need this, I need that, he's like, I got you. Like, I'm just waiting for you to figure it out, and you will figure it out. It might take a lot longer than you want, but I promise you, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to take care of you. Even if you go bankrupt, even if every person you love and adore leaves you, I got you. What did you do to figure yours out? You said late 2023, you had an even worse uh, situation than the year or two prior, which you thought was really bad. And then it got worse. What did you do to get out of it? In other words, right? You're kicking and flailing your feet like that boy in the in the ocean there, and there's solid ground just beneath you. But what if like you you're extending your feet everywhere and there is no solid ground beneath you, to the left of you, to the side of you, upside down? Like you're trying it all, nothing is touching. Like you are alone alone, right? In that water, so to speak, there's nothing within your reach. What do you do? Well, that's when you let go. <laughs> and you know, that, that's when you, because you, you, if you know that he's going to take care of you, that's when you have to let go. Like, I know you're going to take care of me. I know it. There is zero. That's like a kid jumping into uh, and a little girl jumping into her dad's arms off a high place. Maybe she's on top of the slide and she decides that she's going to jump into her dad's arm. There's, there's very little, if any fear or apprehension in that kid, when they start to get more awareness, knowledge, that's when fear creeps in. That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's why everything went crazy is that we got knowledge and we started seeing things. Oh no. And we started trying to reason through it the wrong way. And we forgot that he is in control. A little girl you know, one-year-old, two-year-old, 18-months-old is going to jump to her dad's arms. No thought that he can or cannot catch her. He just, just trusts. There's no thought. So we sometimes have to do that. We have to let go. We got to stop trying to make it make sense and just trust that he's going to care for it. So for, the, for me, how did I get to a place where I was okay with it? I think there's major and, and transformative benefit in making decisions. And I think we undervalue the benefit of making decisions. I believe that making a decision is better than making no decision at all, because at least you have movement. Even if you make the wrong decision, at least you have movement. Now, obviously there are caveats to that, but, but for me, uh, without giving too much of the details away, cause it's still not a public story that I'm telling, although I'm alluding to it frequently, um, but for me, I got to a place around Christmas. I'd been dealing with this for now for 90 days. I was in the middle of hell for 60 of those 90 days, those last 60 days of 2023. So November, December, you know, it was terrible. Meeting with my attorney, obviously my wife was involved, talking to close, close-knit circle of friends. Like, what do I do? Talk to my coach, talk to mentors. What do I do here? The indecision leading up to that point was really what was causing most of my problems. 
the, but the decision I ended up having to make was not one that I wanted. It was the one that I was the most scared of. It was the decision that I, if I did that, it was final and it was over and there's no coming back from it. I'll look like a failure. Like all of those what ifs and worries about the other people's perceptions. That's why I didn't make the decision yet that kept me trapped as a slave to what other people thought. Epictetus says he who lives as his neighbor's wish lives as a slave. He who lives as his neighbor's wish lives as a slave. King Solomon says something very similar in the book of Proverbs. And, and we need to understand that what other people think doesn't matter. Like our audience is Jesus. And for me, it's also my wife. Like those are the two people at the end of my life. If I please those two people, I'm good. So I had to make a decision, the one I didn't want to make. And I made that decision. And it was almost as if a hundred pound weight was lift off each shoulder. And it didn't fix the problem. Like the problem still exists. The problem is still ongoing, but I made a decision and it released me from the burden of the indecision. And, um, you know, for a week or so, even after I made the decision, it felt lighter, but it still, it still sucked. I had a friend of mine. So I made the decision on, on uh, December, I think it was the 29th. And then on, uh, so three days later, a friend of mine reached out to me and he said, Hey man, let's go driving. He wanted, he, he'd bought a uh, new supercar and he, he, I'd ridden with, and with him, but he wanted to go. Cause I'd bought a new car earlier that year. And he's like, Hey, let's get together and go driving. So I'm like, okay. So on new year's day, we got together and go driving. We stopped at this coffee, stopped to get coffee way out in the middle of nowhere. And he goes, man, so what's going on? Like he didn't know he wasn't close enough to me to know what was happening. And so here I'm at this place getting coffee and I pour out to him what's going on. He looked at me like, holy crap, like he couldn't believe it. And he's like, now I understand why you didn't return any of my phone calls. You weren't responding to anything. I was like, yeah, man, I, I went dark for 90 days. He said, okay, well now what did you learn? And that was a great question because at the, at the moment I really didn't know. I was like, I don't know. I'm still reeling in my own self, self-pity. Mm -hmm. I'd made the decision. I felt lighter, but it was still haunting me. And so it was from that moment forward over the next week or so, I really started self uh, kind of going inside and say, okay, what did I learn? And so I learned 10 specific things as I, as I could consciously become aware of them. And I wrote them down and I've been methodically going through and writing about each of those 10 things a pretty long, like in my newsletters that I send out to all my readers, like they go out every Wednesday and I sent one out today. I got another one next week, I actually recorded a pod, solo podcast today on one of those lessons. But, but to me, Joseph making the decision and then really uh, analyzing what I've learned, that's helped me move through this. Now it's not over, but there's one other thing and that's this. And Napoleon Hill says this, and I love Napoleon Hill. He said in every adversity, in every heartache, in every failure, there's, a there's the seed of an equivalent benefit. That's right. Now, what is a seed? Well, a seed is just the beginning of reality. It isn't reality itself. But I would think, Joseph, in your time of need and struggle, as as, as was for me and mine, is that I wanted the full-grown solution immediately. Just like a kid who's in a temper tantrum. Like, I wanted it immediately. But, but Napoleon Hill, although... 
not, not an inspired writer as, as is Paul or any of the other new Testament writers or anybody else, but, but still very inspired in the sense that he wrote truth. And he said, listen, in every adversity, there's a seed of an equivalent greater benefit. I truly believe that. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what, I don't know what this is going to turn into. I have no idea. I, I don't know. I, I was on a show earlier today as a guest and uh, actually, no, no, no. This guy was a guest on my show and we were talking about baseball and I quit baseball my freshman year of high school because I had a jerk for a coach. And the, and my guest, who's in the, one of the couple of baseball, he's in the Hall of Fame, like he's a pretty interesting dude. He said, well, what did you learn through that? And I said, well, I don't know. He goes, well, maybe you learned not to be that kind of guy as you grew up. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's, maybe that was the, maybe that was the whole reason I went through that with the jerk as a coach and quit a, a sport I love. So for us, we got to look for that seed of the equivalent or greater benefit and just cling to it. And we got to know that he's going to take care of us. I'm going to keep posing questions because you're answering them really well. So <laughs> what if you're making decisions in the storm as best you know how? They're hard decisions. They're decisions you don't want to make, like you said. And every time you make a decision, nothing gets better. Um, no door opens and you've made a series of decisions and it's this feeling of stuckness, even though you're creating motion because you are making decisions, like you said, but it's like nothing's improving and you're almost not your almost, maybe you are perpetually discouraged because you're not seeing an open door and you're swinging like you're not sitting on your ass just sending up prayers to heaven and not doing anything like you're swinging for the fences and you're exhausted from swinging at the wind like what then do you keep just make the next decision make the next decision make the next decision is that the reasonable thing to do and eventually your bat will make contact because i know that sounds good but or is there something else, especially in the spiritual realm? You know, when we're in discouragement, what, what, I mean, break that word down, discouragement, it's, it's lack of courage. So what is courage? Courage is not the, um, uh, is not the absence of the things that we are fearful of. It's the presence of what we're fearful of and we act anyway. So to be discouraged is to act fearfully when courage is what is needed. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, Joseph, every, everybody's situation is different, but, but here's what I did. I clung, just absolutely clung to the, to, to the Psalms because David, if it, for anything, he was a murderer, he was a blasphemer. He, he was an adulterer like this dude, but yet, he was a man after God's own heart. Somehow those two things come together in a way that doesn't, doesn't contradict. But if anything, he was the honest writer in, in our, in our scriptures, because he would yell out and scream and cry out. Why what's going on? And uh, I think David got it wrong. Like that's my perspective. I think there's a lot of times that David got it wrong. And I, I think that he got it wrong because he didn't have all the data. He just doesn't know. Like when you said, what if I made decision, made decision, made decision, made decision, and nothing's changing? Well, how do you know nothing's changing? I mean, there's something may have changed behind the scenes you don't even know about. And one day 
it's all going to drop. Now, the difference is, do you trust that he's going to take care of you? So Psalm 32 I don't have I don't have the exact reference, but in Psalm 32, which is the opposite of 23, if you invert the numbers, it's an easy way to remember this. But in Psalm 32, David says, "You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble, and you surround me with shouts of deliverance." So that's something I say to myself every day. I read that every day. Like, "You are a hiding place for me. You surround me. You preserve me." Like those are good things. And then later. It, as David often does, it's a, a psalm is written where he's talking to God, like directly, and then he'll talk to other people about God, and then at other times, he'll talk to you as if he's God. Like that's, I mean, not as if he's God, but he's speaking on behalf of God. So he goes on later in that Psalm 32, and he says, I will instruct you, and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So this is the same psalm. So he's saying, hey, I need you to, I need a hiding place. I need preservation. I need, I need provision. And then David flips it and says, I will, as, as God is speaking here, is I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you need to go. Like I will counsel you. I'm watching you. I got you. It's not, you're not absent from him. So that's been really interesting. The other psalm, Psalm 37, Psalm 37 David is talking there and he says, he's instructing us. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. And what does that mean? Delight yourself in the Lord. That means you got to make sure that you understand he's the best. He's the best. Like delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. Well, the desires of my heart was to win the lottery. It's $500 million. Like that fixes everything. Like, okay. So he didn't give me that. So maybe my heart didn't desire that. Maybe that was what my flesh desired and my heart desired just peace. Maybe I'd misunderstood what my heart truly desired. And again, that goes to the heart has thoughts that are separate from the brain. I think they're the mind may not actually be centered in the brain. It may be centered in the heart. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a, psychologist, but that's kind of what I think that that might mean. And he, and he, and then he goes on to say, commit your ways to the Lord, trust him. And this is the best part. He says, trust him and he will act. That's the best three words, man. Trust the Lord. He will act. And he says that the steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. So I, I just got, we got to delight in him. We got to, we got to trust in him, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. He will take care of you. He will walk you. And that's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter three. He said, you just need to trust him. He will direct you. Now, as someone who's on the other side of the storm, this now all makes sense. But in the middle of the storm, none of this made sense, but I clung to it anyway, because it didn't make sense. Like I'm standing, I remember, I remember one Sunday morning, I'm standing in church service and we're singing some songs and preachers preaching and all I'm doing is just, I'm desperately looking through Psalms, trying to find solace, trying to find something. That's all I could do. I couldn't focus on the preaching. I couldn't focus on the song. And then there was another time that some of the songs we were singing absolutely broke me in terms of what, like what we were saying about provision and protection. It's like, wow. Like, this is what I needed. So there are these glimpses where God cracks through the, the, the facade of who we are and tries to make himself known. And sometimes we're still hanging on to the rope. We won't put our feet down. Hmm. Well, if you were to ask me what I've learned so far through this storm, 
which is probably my worst storm ever because I'm now married with children, uh, where before I was a bachelor, it wasn't as bad. Through this storm, I have learned that it has been revealed that I don't actually trust God as much as I thought I trusted God because I'm constantly doubting him through this and his provision and his protection. And my heart knows I can trust him, but my head is just screaming I can't, right? If I'm just being honest about it. And yeah. that's a wrestle, man. That's a real wrestle. And uh, so I just want to thank you for uh, taking on some some deeper, more difficult questions, challenging questions, as it's still raw and fresh in you. Probably the best time to ask you is right outside the the storm. You just came out of it, right? Um, so thank you for that. And I know uh, we're tight on time here, so we're going to wrap it up here, unless there's something you wanted to say. Well, one thing I would add to this, because we talked about this on the in the other show, is that um, of all the Psalms for solace and for comfort in times of struggle, it's the 23rd Psalm that has been the biggest part, part for me. And I had a life coach a few years ago that really helped me by saying, look, you need to focus on this and meditate on this every day. So I've done that and it, I've broken it down into, into sections. And I say it every morning when I go walk and work out, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So if I break that down, okay, he's a shepherd. What do we know about shepherds in our society? We don't know much about them, but we can go back and look at what it was like. Okay. They were in charge of these sheep's lives. They were in charge of their their ability to eat, to sleep, to, to be protected from wolves and from sickness. Like that's what a shepherd's job was. The fact that he wouldn't care for the sheep is ridiculous. So the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. Like he lets us rest where we eat because that's grass. So we're resting right in the middle of what we need to consume. He leads me beside quiet waters so again, why? Because sheep are too scared to drink from rushing waters. So if we're next to rushing waters, it's not because the shepherd led us there. It's because we walked over there. Like that's on us. So maybe it's the rushing waters that are scaring you. You need to get back to the shepherd. And he can lead you to the quiet waters. And then he says, he keeps me alive. And that's what a shepherd's job is to keep me alive. He goes on to say, he guides me in the proper paths for his name's sake. Can you imagine the shepherd who showed up? He left that, you know, that Monday with a hundred sheep and showed up to deliver and there's only 30 left like that guy's never going to be hired again so for his name's sake it's it's up to him to take care of the sheep to make sure they don't get lost they don't get stolen they don't get they don't die and then here's where david shifts he's not talking about god to us he says he now he turns to god and he says your rod and your staff protect me but wait a minute that's not what he said at first is it no, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear only evil. Why? Because you're with me. So that means that the shepherd sometimes has to leave the sheep, lead the sheep through dangerous places. That doesn't mean he wants them there. He's just, there's a place we got to go, and this is where we got to go through it. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of bankruptcy, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of broken relationships, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of losing my job, I don't fear evil because you're with me. That's it. And then he says, your rod and your staff protect me. What does that mean? Well, the rod was a protection tool. It was to beat the, the, you know, the enemies as they came by. 
And the staff was to pull back. The staff was to pull back. If you need, if you walk too far away, he'd pull back. So the rod and staff are protection and comfort. And then he goes on to say, you set a table for me. This is great. You set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So we think about other people coming against us. Father is preparing a table, a feast, and he's going to let you eat right in front of all the people that are making fun of you. All the people that are causing the problem. He's going, hey, I'm going to let you have a big meal right in front of them. And your cup is going to overflow. And he's going to anoint your head with oil, meaning he's going to take care of the way you look, smell, taste, touch. Everything about you is going to look nice. And then he finishes by saying, surely, surely goodness, meaning good things, and mercy, meaning not being punished for what I should be punished for, are going to follow me all the days of my life, and I will live in his house forever. Man, you do that every day, Joseph. If your attitude doesn't change, I don't know what to tell you. BC Nation, we're speaking with the real Jason Duncan, and uh, I don't know, I feel like I just got led to still waters for this past almost 60 minutes or so. But as we wrap up here, um, Jason, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you if they so choose? Reach out to me at the real Jason Duncan on Instagram or YouTube. And uh, my website is therealjasonduncan.com. Jason, as we wrap up, let me ask you, what's your favorite thing about God? that he takes care of me even when i don't see it and what's your least favorite thing about god that he takes care of me and i don't see it (laughs) (sighs) what do you wish you had learned sooner about god i wish i'd learned sooner that he actually does care and has my best interest at heart even though i can't see it Same answer restated three different ways, man. Yeah. All right, BC Nation, if you enjoyed the show, go ahead and uh, write an honest review for Jason Duncan, who showed up powerfully today. God speaking through him, I believe. Definitely speaking God's truth uh, to each of our hearts. I hope you feel comforted and at peace the way I do right now. Jason, thank you for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life. Thank you. Cheers.